Welcome future MBAs to our first MBA Life podcast. My name is Ben Reedy. I'm the founder and managing director of MBA News. We're Australia's number one source of news, views and information on doing an MBA in Australia. Check us out at mbanews.com.au. I established MBA News after finishing my degree at QUT in 2012. It's a little side project to my main day job as the managing director of media and marketing business in Brisbane called RGC. The goal of MBA News and this podcast is to give people thinking of embarking on an MBA some insight into what they can expect from the experience. We're certainly not neutral. We think everyone with aspirations to further their professional career should do an MBA. Since the MBA was first offered, 1908 has become a byword for managerial excellence. New technologies mean the MBA is more accessible to more students than ever. This has allowed a great democratisation of the knowledge and insights required to be a great manager and a leader of people. For our first podcast in the MBA Life Series, we spoke to Professor Ian Harper, the new Dean of one of Australia's top MBA providers, the Melbourne Business School. Professor Harper is one of Australia's best connected and most distinguished economists. He is a board member of the Reserve Bank of Australia and has been involved in many landmark government initiatives over the past two decades, including the Competition Policy Review, the Fair Pay Commission and the Wallace Inquiry into Financial Market Reform. After commencing his role in March, Professor Harper is undertaking a number of wide-ranging reviews of the school. I started by asking if the MBA would remain the flagship business degree within Melbourne Business School. Well, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, no doubt about that. The, the school has uh, in excess of 900 students, and the great majority of those are studying the MBA in its various manifestations, full-time, part-time, executive MBA, senior executive MBA. Uh, so, um, of course, we also teach a Master of Business Analytics, and there are some students who take a Master of Marketing degrees, uh, but the great bulk of the students are taking the MBA, so clearly it remains the flagship. Uh, it is the degree which draws people to the Melbourne Business School. Yeah, and obviously, you know, the Melbourne Business School plays, you know, is one of our most highly ranked schools, plays an important role in, in defining the, the, you know, the Australian MBA landscape to the rest of the world as well. You guys are going to continue to continue to take a leadership position on things like rankings, securing rankings and that sort of stuff? Well, we're absolutely committed to being the best business school in the country. And then beyond that, when we, we clearly establish our, our leadership position here uh, in Australia, then, of course, we can build for the region and the world. But the school is already, as you know, uh, well-ranked uh, around the world. In fact, in fact, particular discipline areas are very highly ranked. Uh, our marketing area is ranked number three. Uh, in the world in its specific rankings, and business analytics, number five. The school overall is ranked number 66 presently in the Financial Times rankings. Uh, but the, the main point is that, yes, indeed, the greatest opportunity facing this school, Melbourne Business School, is that it is part of Australia's first-ranked university. And both of us are part of the fastest-growing city in the Commonwealth of Australia, now, if we could just move on just more generally to a bit of a discussion about the M MBA degree. Um, how, how do you see the reputation of the MBA as a degree in the market at the moment as it goes through periods of, of popularity and, and unpopularity? How do you see it in the market at the moment? I think the MBA degree has um, is one of the great survivors, and it's a great survivor because it's very adaptable. Uh, the MBA degree, as it's currently taught, would be unrecognisable to somebody who was starting out when the degree was originally offered in the 1950s. Uh, then, of course, it was thought that management was a science like any other science. Uh, that's where Syatt and March came from when they developed or invented management science. 
And the degree was constructed off the back of that in much the same way that degrees in science were constructed. In the intervening uh, 60 or so years, what has happened is, of course, that the degree has become far more uh, flexible and engaged in a wide range of issues that are related to the running of modern business uh, that have much more to do with, clearly, with technology, the use of analytics, uh, traditional subjects to do with organizational behavior and accounting and finance are obviously still there. Uh, but there's a whole lot more these days that deals with the context of business, the social context of business, the ethical context of business, as well as uh, matters to do with technology and the straight sort of functional operations of business. Entrepreneurship uh, would never have been something that was picked up in the 1950s that's now in evidence there. So the MBA degree changes uh, with the seasons, and that's one of its great strengths. At the, at the moment, I think, uh, what we find is that there is growing pressure for the degree to be offered in different formats. Now, the school has responded to that. As I mentioned to you earlier on, uh, we have a part-time program that is many times larger than a full-time program. When I first was teaching in the MBA here at this university in the early 1990s, the part-time program was the runt of the litter, a much smaller program than the full-time program. And now that's completely reversed. Uh, and in addition, of course, we have other formats for teaching the degree intensively through the Executive MBA and the Senior Executive MBA. So I think the answer, then, is that the idea of the MBA uh, is as popular as it has ever been because of its breadth, because of its capacity to take someone from a very different discipline background and extend and stretch them and prepare them for life in leading organizations, whether they're businesses, frankly, or not-for-profits, or government departments. Uh, it's about taking people who've got leadership potential and developing that potential by exposing them to the various disciplines that are required to do that. Many of them, of course, are already in leadership positions, as our executive MBAs are and senior executives. They can still benefit from the um, uh, focused attention which the degree brings to different discipline inputs to the uh, degree process. And, and, of course, they benefit from the people who are attracted to the classroom, uh, their peers. That's also a very important part of our function. So the degree itself, I think, is as relevant as it's ever been. If there's pressure for change, the pressure is for continuing work on the accessibility, the format of delivery, the way in which you can access it. Uh, but can I say that Melbourne Business School has no intention for all that of becoming a wholly online supplier of an MBA. Uh, we're not going to do that because that's not where the market wants to take us. The market is increasingly interested in very high-quality classroom engagement. And that's what we specialise in. Not just literally what our, my colleagues on the academic staff do in the classroom, but the quality of people who are drawn to the experience. So the modern MBA classroom, then, is like a platform. We are a platform provider like Uber and Airbnb and all the rest. And our job is to provide the right atmosphere, the right mix here at Melbourne Business School, which attracts the right students, the best students, attracts the best faculty, and then we mix them in the environment that we provide here at the school, and that's where the magic happens. The magic is a mix of the input from academic colleagues, the input of experience and enthusiasm from the students themselves, and all that provides an experience which then um, they can leap off into the business community or into organizational life on the basis of. That's what we're yeah. doing. That's what the NBA represents, and that's what a great business school seeks to achieve.
Yeah, you, you mentioned sort of the, um, the the history of the NBA back in the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, mm. through the 90s, mm. through to now. It was the mm. it was the great generalist degree. Now, some, someone in their mid-career, in their early 30s, they've done their mm. undergraduate, they're mm. ready to do some further stage, advance their career. There's an incredible array of options out there, whether it's a, an MBA right. or there's a, a joint a joint master's degree in business and finance. There's incredible That's amounts right. of specialisation out there. Mm. What would you say to someone who's sort of thinking about do I do a do I do a specialist master's degree? Do I do my PhD or do I do an MBA? What's the sort of the, the thought process for someone making well, that the, decision? Well, the answer depends on what you're wanting to do with it. Right? Obviously, if you want to become more specialised as an executive in an air, a very specialised area, um, and it's a bit like being the chief engineer or the chief actuary. If you want to do that and become the manager, the overseer of a specialised function within a large organisation, well, then, of course, a specialised degree is precisely what you need. But the MBA is designed for people, as you say, who have a much more, a much broader outlook on their management or leadership responsibilities. It's not that they don't have discipline-based expertise. Generally, they bring that in from their undergraduate degree or even, in the case of our EMBAs, from years of experience. Uh, with people who've been doctors, for example, or dentists, or nurses, or musicians for years, and a very accomplished concert pianist, ballet dancer, right, wants to come in and decide and, and learn how to how to, to be the the, um, the leader, the manager of the of the ballet company, or the you know manager or leader of the orchestra uh, in a managerial or business sense. But those types of skills require much more generalised training, uh, and that's what the MBA specialises in. So I say to you that it's um, Horses for courses. Uh, if you want a specialised leadership position, that's what you're aiming at, well, then maybe a more specialised degree is what you'll need. But if you're interested in general leadership, running organisations, then it's the MBA that will offer you the broadest overall overarching skill base for this type of uh, calling. Yeah, you've touched on a couple of um, aspects of my next question was, which is that the MBA has evolved over the last couple of, you know, the last couple of decades. It's not just about people who want to advance themselves in business now. There's people no. who want to go out and, you know, who've got no intention of being a, a middle manager in a, in a global mm. company and climbing the, climbing mm. the corporate there. They want to start their own businesses. They That's want nice. to go and work for not-for-profits. They want to uh, mm. enhance their skills in, in their own family business. The MBA has sort of evolved a little bit, do you think, from that traditional, mm. I just want oh, yeah. to climb, well, the cor- climb as far as I can up the corporate ladder and this MBA is going well, to help me do that? Yeah, that's, well, that's correct, Ben, but that's happened because the structure of business itself has changed. When the degree started out, uh, business was essentially organised, almost, um, you know, Bismarck-like, in large uh, bureaucratic structures. But that's the way business was organised. That has long since ceased to be the case. And businesses, the, the hierarchies themselves are far flatter, uh, even in very large organisations. And of course, there's a much, there's a whole host of much smaller organisations who have nothing like that type of hierarchical structure. This is partly happening because of technology, partly happening because of the attitudes of younger people who are going into these organisations. That they're not used to dealing with hierarchies. They don't trust hierarchies. They are much more used to networking, and through small organisations, they can network very effectively using modern digital technology. So, yeah, people are coming to learn how to run organisations successfully. And those organisations may be commercial, non-commercial, public service, whatever. So they need to learn about how to manage people, how to interact, how to, how to use technology, how to watch the finances, how to think about the ethics 
a whole range of skills which essentially are required for people who want to lead organizations to success, to meet the expectations that their stakeholders have for those organizations. That's what we impart. Yeah. You touched on it briefly a bit earlier in terms of the role of technology in, in course delivery. How, how do you see that evolving over the next few years at Melbourne Business School in terms of giving, giving students that flexibility to be able to dial into a lecture um, or, you know, dial into a webinar to get the lecture at a later date. How do you see that continuing to affect the, the delivery structure of the MBA at MBS? Well, as I said, at Melbourne Business School, first and foremost, we'll be offering classroom-based experience. So we will, and we already do, experiment with what's called adaptive learning. Some people call it blended learning. But where you can, for example, flip the classroom, you can get access to the material in advance, you can do tests online. The instructor knows how much progress you've made and your colleagues have made before the class actually starts, knows where the issues are that people are finding difficult to come to terms with. And then those are the issues, together with case studies, that become the basis of the actual face-to-face class experience. So people then are assumed to have done the background work and then can discuss live cases with a great deal of, of um, depth because of the common information base they bring to the class. So the classroom itself, the talk and talk, is not devoted to to transmitting information from one person to another. That's done online. Now, we have those things already. We obviously experiment with the other examples of, you know, video sessions in class and to some extent uh, interactions and bringing people in. What we don't do, though, is to make these classes available online uh, at any time of the day for anyone to access. Uh, We don't do that because that's not what, well, for a start, we have pedagogical concerns about that, but it's not what the school stands for. Uh, there are lots of others who offer those sorts of services, and we say that's fine. Uh, there are plenty of different touch points in the marketplace. We happen at Melbourne Business School to run a high-touch, high-value service, which emphasises the interaction that takes place in the classroom. The key to that, then, is acknowledging that the experience we're offering our students is as much a function of what they learn from their colleagues in the classroom as it is from what my colleagues, academic colleagues, inject by way of ideas and learning. The, the magic happens when the two of those interact, when, they, when the whole reaction is catalyzed by what takes place here at the school. Yeah. So yes, we see it evolving. It'll evolve very widely across the marketplace and possibly even across the university, which is partly what the strategy review is about. But um, yeah. my strong sense is the Melbourne Business School will always remain uh, at one end of that spectrum, and albeit, of course, with appropriate, um, you know, additions of technology where that obviously improves what we're trying to do. Uh, but what we're basically trying to do is catalyze classroom experience, not take the whole thing and put it onto the internet. Yeah, I think one of the um, one of the most important takeaways I had from my MBA was the the networks that you develop through that sort of experiential in-class learning, the ability to sit down and have a group discussion to interact and throw ideas around. That's exactly One of the most important parts of an MBA. And and, and I I rank that as sort of one of the the top three things that I took away from my MBA. What other things would you like people to sort of take away after they sort of had five years distance from graduating from Melbourne Mm -hmm. Business School? What would you like your students to go back and say, "This this is the one thing that I really took away from my degree. Oh, well, I, I think what you've put your finger on there is, is, is extremely important. The, the contacts that you made, right, the experience that you had when you were working 
intensively on problems with your syndicate colleagues into the late hours of the evening. The conversations, discussions that you have, when your, when your ideas, your preconceptions were turned on their head, sometimes by an academic colleague, but just as often by somebody in the classroom who has experience to match yours and who present, confronts your preconceptions or what you thought you learned from your experience by putting to you completely opposite points of view. And, and these, are your, these are your peers, people who then go on to become your, in many cases, business partners or you know, clients, customers, at the very least people that you know you can contact and follow their careers throughout your own career because there's a common shared almost, if you like, experience in the trenches that you can call up. Uh, importantly, as I said to you before, Ben, that's what we're trying to create. We're trying to create the crucible in which those sorts of relationships are forged, which means we need the right people to be in the classroom with the right outlook, the right capacity, the right potential. Then you mix them together with the academic input. That's where the magic happens. Five years down the pike, they're looking back and they're saying, you know, it was those formative experiences that really set me up in my career. That's where I met my business partner. That's where I got the inspiration to build this business. That's where I got the contacts who led me on to start a, start a new business in China. I mean, who knows, right? Those yeah. things are what are the measure ultimately of the success of what we've done, making connections and then developing those in the most sort of fundamental of human ways by face-to-face -face interaction under pressure in a controlled environment. Yeah. Well, one of the, um, on to another topic, one of the other important questions we get from people in terms of when is, is when should they do their MBA? You know, there's people coming out of undergraduates in their mid-twenties who want to continue studying and go straight into an MBA. There's people much later in their career, in their late forties, early fifties, who are thinking about doing an MBA. Yeah. What sort of advice would you give people who are, who are, you know, who've got the, the spark of maybe I should do an MBA, but when is the right time to do an MBA? Well, I, the school obviously answers that question in a couple of ways. Firstly, we have a minimum work experience, right? So we don't take people who are straight out of undergraduate degrees. Uh, not because they're not bright, for goodness sake, but no, because this degree is post-experience. This degree is intended to build on the experience that you already have. Importantly, though, for the reasons I've been giving you, you've got to bring something to the classroom. You don't just bring your own IQ, right? That's for your benefit. You, you bring your experience to share with your peers in the classroom. So you ought to have some experience. You've got to have some war stories. You have to have some dilemmas that you have faced in order not just to appreciate what other people tell you. You can immediately recognize it and say, yeah, I did that once, and this is what happened to me. You need to be able to offer the benefit of your insight and experience. So the first answer is, no, we don't just take undergraduates because you've got to have a few war stories, a few scars on your back before you can really appreciate what's being told to you in the classroom and what you in turn can share with your colleagues. The second thing we do, as we've been indicating, is to stream the classes. So, no, there is a problem when you're putting someone who's 27 uh, into the same classroom as someone who's 37 or 47. It, it, just, it just doesn't work for more or less the same reasons, that, that people haven't got enough common experience to share to make this really work. So you bring senior managers together to share the experiences of senior managers and so on down the line. Uh, all of that is governed by the dynamic of the classroom. And yeah, sure, there are some benefits in having some diversity, obviously, older people, younger people. That's not, you know, completely out of the question. We do that with our advanced management programs, our non-degree programs. 
But running a degree, the MBA, really requires people to be at a similar position so that they can spur and learn from each other uh, to a greater extent than would be true when you've got too wide a, a, a spectrum of experience in the one room. Thank you for your time today, Professor Harper, and thank you to our listeners for tuning into our first MBA Live podcast. If you would like to help us out and you enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to share us on social media. We'll be back with another podcast in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us.